Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show with me, Michael Tinkster. We are on a mission to share what Maverick leaders know and do to build businesses that deliver strong results and positive impact on people, society, and the planet. Thank you to our brand partner, BizSimply, for sponsoring this episode. BizSimply is the all-in-one workforce management software that enables your business to become more efficient and profitable. The software designed and built by hospitality experts to enhance the way shift-oriented operators manage their business, optimize their entire people journey, and making every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow, and how we serve our customers. Together, we wanted to share strategies and tools to make the industry thrive long-term. When I look at our senior leadership team, whether that's the operations team that are now multi-site managers or the head office team, almost all of those, with a few exceptions, have come through the ranks. You know, we've got a marketing guy that actually started on the bar, a finance guy that's worked for me for 15 years, and they are exceptionally talented people and they understand the ethos of the business. And that is critical. And I think that then just pervades every element. So the culture of the business is absolutely first and foremost. When people then come to join us, they don't really need to learn what the culture is about. It's just there. This is Richard Colclaw, the Managing Director of the Paragon Pop Group. The Paragon Pop Group is an independent group based in Staffordshire. Started back in 2007 by five local friends that wanted to bring better food and hospitality to the area they lived in. Richard shares their journey, the vision for the group, and their philosophy on how they approach growth gracefully, as well as their future plans. We discuss what their business priorities is in the current market and how they are navigating the current storm in hospitality. Richard shares how they build culture that creates a belonging and also deliver business objectives. And he also shares how they are involving their people from the front line up to management in making better business decisions. We dive into what Richard's key learnings has been over the last couple of years and how he makes tough decisions as a leader and how he keeps himself in the impact zone in a fast moving world. If you like today's episode, it will mean a world to me if you could leave a review of our show, either on our website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests, and ultimately, the better the learning will be for you. Now, dear Maverick, it's time to grab your pen and notebook and enjoy. Today, we will uh, go on a journey. We're going to... Go out and say, I don't know, and maybe I'm going to be corrected by the guest today, but I think like we're traveling out to the countryside and we actually want to give people a bit of an insight into how you actually, you know, take some kind of passion and develop that into a, like a very serious business, a group of friends with a shared passion for food and good drinks came together a long time ago to create something special. And that's actually what we're going to have a conversation about today. And then actually, how do we actually, how does the landscape look for them in the, the post-pandemic? 
uh, era and actually the exciting times to have ahead where they have lots of plans for expanding the business. With that said, welcome to the uh, podcast, Richard. It's a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I oversold or undersold you there before we <laughs> we started, but it would be really good for for the audience to get a bit of an insight into you know who are you, your background, how you came together with a group of friends, and now have a, a nice little restaurant slash pop group that's called Paragon Group in the north of England. Okay, so um, Paragon Group came into being fifteen years ago. And it was founded by four friends from school. So three of my really good friends who were all at the same school together, um, all with very different backgrounds. And we all shared a common passion for food and drink and uh, going out. We loved socializing. However, we were tending to go out of the area a lot. Our hometown didn't have anything that was particularly attractive to us. So uh, we came together to create Paragon Group, purely and simply uh, out of a selfish need that there was nothing of any quality, particularly in our area at that time. So the the four founders were all the same age, um, give or take 12 months. And we were a solicitor. Uh, so I had a, a senior solicitor on the team. We had a guy who, uh, Phil, who was in um, hospitality, had worked for TGIs, he had his own coffee shops. I was a pharmacist. I'd actually had a, my own business for um, 15 years before that and had sold a chain of seven pharmacies. So I'd got some retail experience and also I understood about looking after people and providing that a great personal service. We also had a very well qualified hospitality uh, industry professional, David Myers, who had worked for Mitchells and Butler. He'd also run a hotel chain. He got, um, he got loads of experience running um, marketing divisions and various in various large pub corporations. James Keats, who was a solicitor, he'd also got lots of different business, uh, business experience running property uh, portfolio as well. So the combination of our skills were quite disparate, but also um, came together really well to form a great kind of combination. But, and also we shared a very similar passion for interior design. We liked smart surroundings. We loved good quality food uh, and we all liked people. So that combination really came together and, and worked really well. And the launch of our first site, the Swan with Two Necks, uh, in 2007 was uh, challenging to say the least. It was something that none of us had done before in terms of launching a pub business. And it, it was quite an ambitious project. It was a 220 cover restaurant. We were aiming to do great quality gastro food. Um, and we kind of assembled a team refurbished the property and launched it all in a 12-week spell. It's uh, not something I would um, recommend, if wow. I'm quite <laughs> honest. I, I think it's a case of, at the time, what we didn't know um, probably was, uh, was probably helping us just get our foot down, because if we'd have known what we were letting ourselves in for, we would never have done it. Oh, it is, it is what do you call it? Uh, being ignorant sometimes as an entrepreneur is uh, it's, it's quite good because else you would never ever pursue it. 
no question about it. If we'd have realized just what we were letting ourselves in for, we would never have done it. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a tough start, but exciting. And um, we struck a chord with the public almost straight away. Um, our biggest problem, actually, was, was keeping up with demand and, and actually um, delivering the product that we were promising. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was definitely the biggest challenge to start with. And, and what happened since the launch then in 2007? You, you, you definitely, you definitely grown. And I guess also you got on top of your initial challenge of delivering quality and capacity. Yes, we have. I think, um, I think one of the, the great things that we did have was we knew what we wanted to deliver. We just weren't sure at the time how to join the dots to get there, but we learned that really quickly over that first six to 12 months. And, um, by the end of the first 12 months, we'd also bought in a chap called Chris Childs, who's now a, a director and, and shareholder of the business, uh, who was an industry professional, um, a great guy. And he really helped us get up to speed as well with our standards because we knew exactly where we wanted to be. It was just getting those standards. And um, within 12 months, we were firing an incredibly busy site. And it, it suddenly became a changed scenario was it just a hobby? Was it a bit of fun? Actually, this could be a fantastic business and we could take it further, which is what exactly what we did over the following years as we, as we took that initial DNA and ideas that we had and extrapolated it across uh, the other sites that we purchased. And, and, and where are you today then? Where, what have you uh, developed up to now? What is like a status quo? It would say it so. Okay. So we have nine trading sites at the minute operating different formats, all within what I would term a premium volume space. So they're all really busy sites, all premium food and drink outlets. Uh, there's no two for one kind of angle or no value proposition, particularly. It, we don't discount, we just deliver a great quality product at a fair price and with amazing service. So those nine sites, we have different formats spread over those from uh, gastro pubs. We have a smokehouse, which is a quite a relaxed, family-friendly environment. Uh, we have a bar and grill, which we're just about to open our second bar and grill, which will be our 10th site in July. Uh, we also have an all-day dining concept called Willow, which we're really excited about. We opened that just after lockdown. Um, that has proven to be extremely popular. And we believe that that could be a brand as well that we'll be running out. So I'm looking for sites currently to take that. It's a smaller footprint. Um, it's 100 covers, but it's open from 8 in the morning till midnight and transitions through the day really well to give different experiences for the consumer. Um, so that's something that we're, we're pretty excited about. And uh, why different formats? Because normally when you create a, a winning model, that's definitely the old school way. You find your, your Starbucks or your McDonald's, you find your winning model, and then you open number two, three, four, and then the rest is 12, 24, 50, 100, <laughs> and then international. That's normally how you do it. But why, why did you do different formats and what has been your, like, your thoughts about that creating the business? I definitely appreciate the attraction of a cookie cutter approach. There's no question about it. If you've got a winning formula, why wouldn't you just run it out to every single site? For us, it was um, partly a case of geography. We 
we soaked up quite a few sites that were within close proximity to each other, which meant that actually we needed to have a different look and feel to each venue. Um, but at the same time, that had certain advantages in terms of we could manage them quite easily. So the ops team could get around the sites because they were close together. And also it allowed us to move staff, team members between sites and give them development opportunities actually that we wouldn't have been able to do if we were opening in big cities spread out throughout the country. So there were some advantages of being geographically close together, but ultimately that's what was the driver for us having different offers because we were all within a few, you know, a 10 minute drive of different sites. So it just wasn't possible to give the same look. However, where we're at now spreading geographically wider, we can take those formats and we can take them to different cities now that we have this structure within the management team to be able to deliver that kind of uh, operation. Do you think you're going to come up with uh, with other formats in, in the future? Or are you thinking now we have some kind of winning formula here, but it's not a cookie cutter, but in a way it gives us more strings on the bow, if you say so? I think that's a good question, Michael. We don't envisage coming up with any new offers we will be evolving the offers that we've got to stay current to keep fresh with the customers we want to you know keep keep them interested so we will definitely be evolving them but i don't think there'll be any brand new offers and i think ultimately what we've got within our portfolio will allow us to move to different areas and different kind of surroundings without necessarily coming up with anything absolutely brand new what is like the the mission what is your mission for the group? What is uh because you said you've gone from one to ten sites, so it went from being you know serving your own needs to suddenly you're you're serious in the, the serious in the hospitality business with with lots of uh, moving parts and you want more of that. Well, but what is like the mission for you guys? It's a big national player. Is it a small giant? Was it? I think I think at the minute we have ambitions to grow at. Uh, two to three sites a year, which we are geared up to do. Our head office team can do that. And we are all early 50s, the founders. Um, Chris Charles, as I mentioned, he's a little bit younger, mid 40s. So we've got plenty of uh, gas in the tank to keep going at this business. And we all love it. I think that's the main thing. We are extremely passionate about it. So I think to answer that question, Michael, I would see us as a substantial regional player. I think we can definitely grow this in the next five years or so, so that Paragon becomes a real strength within the, the Midlands and the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is it that, you know, that because the, to be able to do that, I always what I've learned in business and what I can see people as really successful like yourself is that you st- you know what you stand for and you know what it is that makes you stand out from others. What would you say is like your your secret sauce that makes you, you know, winning in your markets? Okay, so I, I firmly believe we have a set of core values within the business that lots of businesses have. However, I genuinely believe that our teams live by those standards and values as they get into work, as they deliver to the customer. And that is what makes us stand out. The quality goes right through from the first thing that you see on the signage, 
we spend loads of time looking at the outside of the buildings you come inside and that quality goes through every single element of the business it is constant so what i would say is from that it goes service food drink decor all at the same level what stands out there is trust with the consumer the consumer trusts us to deliver that every time they know exactly what they are getting from a paragon venue and we give them a memorable experience i genuinely believe that as well that going out for a meal it's not good enough anymore just to go out and feed we need to go out and actually have a memorable experience and there's different ways that we can do that but always through some degree of excellence, whether that's the actual product that goes down on the table or how it's delivered and the environment that you're in. If you can get all those elements to be memorable, then you've really got something special. And I think that's what makes us stand out by living by those core values and delivering passion through every element. It gives us a consistent product. Not many businesses do that, I don't think, in my experience. And the thing is, that's the hard bit in business, exactly getting, you know, first of all, one thing is the defining the values, as you say, like lots of people has values. You you get to the point, you, you get to the workshops or the documentation and you get them defined, but living them and breathing them in everything you do, that's the challenging bit, as, as you indicated. How, how have you made that happen? Like, as you've gone from, you know, one side to two sides and you know, you're lucky, actually, in a way, it's quite lucky you are those four founders and uh, and also an extra person joining the director team and and therefore you are five people i guess that's actually living those values and making sure they're in check besides your team but how have you done that because like when i meet business owners this is one of their biggest challenges as they scale their business is actually keeping that intact and keeping that first site or first part of the business alive I think one of the ways that we've done that is by growing at a speed that was comfortable for us, which meant that we could take people through the ranks. We actually promote heavily from within. So when I look at our senior leadership team, um, whether that's the operations team that are now multi-site managers or the head office team, almost all of those with a few exceptions have come through the ranks. You know, we've got a marketing guy that actually started on the bar, a finance guy that's worked for me 15 years. And they are exceptionally talented people. And they've come through the ranks and they understand the ethos of the business. And that is critical. And I think that then just pervades every element. So the culture of the business is absolutely first and foremost. When people then come to join us, they don't really need to learn what the culture's about. It's just there. It's just something that we're doing. And I think a lot of that does come from the fact that people have come through the ranks. They worked with the founders originally. And therefore, it's really clear in their mind what Paragon stands for and what that culture, how they should behave, what they should be delivering, and how we get those, those sort of mission statements across to our customers and how we deliver the core values on a day-to-day -day basis. Do you, have you actually over the years uh, built some kind of systems or, you know, you can call the processes as well to, to keep the, the culture in, 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 intact and make sure you have some touch points where you check in on it? Because I guess as you get more and more people, it's 
more and more difficult to reach them all in one day or a week <laughs> even. Yeah, I suppose that, that kind of goes across a couple of areas there. Um, we use an external source to test culture, I guess, and engagement, best companies. So we utilize that um, every year. We get a we get a grading from them if you like if you're familiar with it. We currently have a, a best company's two star rating. We were just short of the three star rating, which was quite painful for me personally, but uh, not not a challenge we are shying away from in the future. So that's a, that's one way that we measure objectively what the culture and the engagement is like across the business, but also. Um, as I said, the ops teams are in the sites. We also use a platform called Yapster, which is um, a great tool for keeping in touch with everybody across the company. So it's got a news feed, very much like you'd get on Facebook, perhaps, but it's only internal for our business. So that way, different sites can promote uh, if somebody's done something really exceptional within the site or they've achieved something, they can put it on the newsfeed. And we can also message between each other. So that's a great way of keeping that culture alive. Now, And also for checking in, I guess, as you said, I can see exactly which sites, what they're posting on the newsfeed. And you quickly get a feel, even though I'm perhaps not in that particular venue every week, although I am most weeks, but if I've if it is a period of time when I haven't been there, I can see what they're posting and you can see and feel from different people and make sure that they're all coming from the same angle. It's culture for me is a lot about having a clear vision for, that you share with the whole of the team and then they understand which direction we're all going in. Yeah. As a super interest with clarity of direction and, and purpose is so extremely important. And I actually think that's where sometimes people forget that's the first stepping stone in building culture because then people actually can start deliver the culture you want to see. And it takes time, as you say, and keeping people on board is one of the most powerful thing I've experienced myself um, in some of the companies I've been lucky to work in. And also the companies I've studied is like exactly they have these culture carriers to actually make sure that things are always lived in the right way. Or if not, we find a new way to, to get to the, the best way and the best culture that is needed now. Because culture also changed over years. And I think that's one of my big learnings as well, like how you start out and how the culture develops, it will change. But the, the, the fundamentals, beliefs shouldn't change. It's more about how we execute on it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's a, as with any part of the business, there's an evolution um, which takes into consideration changing trends, uh, changing situations, and, and also the people who are involved in the business. So there's, there's clearly an evolution. But I don't think we've actually strayed too far away from our original uh, thought processes on culture. Um, quite a lot of it, for me, comes down to giving the... Uh, people in uh, positions of responsibility, they have full accountability and they know that we trust them to deliver. That doesn't mean that we don't verify what they're doing, but we do trust them to deliver. And that's all part of the culture as well. I think that it all helps to give them that sense of ownership of their own little department, whatever that might be. What, what would you take that into account? It sounds like you have something like quite strong culture's foundation here and now we you know we're moving in it's been challenging time with pandemic 
lockdowns and so on. We on we in the post lockdown and there's other challenges now. Now we have energy crisis. Uh, there's been labor crisis is still going on. How are what is your like priorities in all this? You, you're opening a new site in June. You might have other on the the drawing board. What is like the priorities in the coming years for you guys with also putting the challenges in that perspective as well for for, for the wider industry? You've probably hit the nail on the head with one of the biggest challenges at the minute: the energy crisis, if you like. Um, most restaurant businesses are heavy consumers of power whether that's um, gas or electricity through those kitchens um, it's difficult to get away with and it's an operation that you can't just duck out of so managing that sort of overhead is a priority but also extremely difficult and there's certain things that are out of our control with that but growth as you say is a top priority we are looking to grow as i've said so that is very much on the agenda it has lots of benefits in terms of ticking some achievements that we'd like to uh, like to see posted. It also gives us development opportunities, I think. I love growing the business because it means the teams can grow with us and develop. It, it creates opportunities for people who have worked with us, and then we can take that culture further on. But the priorities in terms of controlling overheads, uh, yeah, it, it's it's difficult we're very lucky as a business that we're actually insulated largely because we've got contracts that just by luck are still running so um and i really feel for my colleagues who haven't because it's um it's a challenge that's it's really difficult to face because there's it's a closed market you can't go out and get um, price anywhere else everybody seems to be charging the same price for electricity um so it's you can't shop around and ultimately you can try and save but when you've got huge increases the savings that you can do are minimal and ultimately you still need your ovens on and you still need the pass on it's it's tricky to to deal with and i think there will definitely be some casualties for those who have got full exposure to things like that yeah and i guess that you know especially with the the months to come as you know, the, the it was a really good Christmas most places. I guess that, that cash flow quickly gets legs to run on, as I would say. They'll there's bills to be paid and there's more coming. What 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 do you see in, in general in, in the industry? What do you think is gonna happen here? Because it feels like for many when I talk people it's like this is the last straw. They like there's no more strings to, to add here, you know. They don't have any they may be already taking an investment in. They may be already borrowed money in the bank. You know that they are starting now to. You know you can only grow at a certain speed. You know from a revenue point of view as well to cover these costs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I would. I'm hopeful. I like to look on the um, positive side, but I'm hopeful that it won't be catastrophic for the industry, because that would be uh, really depressing for all of us. I think um, hospitality serves a great purpose for lots of reasons in our communities. I do think it will be less dramatic than has been actually touted. Certainly we are seeing softening of the prices, although we haven't got loads of contracts that are expiring. We're still very much keeping um, keeping our finger on the pulse with, with regards to pricing in that area. So it doesn't seem to be quite as bad as the predictions were suggesting. And looking ahead 
Certainly, if interest rates have topped out, potentially, or are close to, inflation seems to have come off the boil. Certainly for us, we're finding that food pricing isn't as bad as um, it was perhaps 12 months ago where prices were rampant. We've actually seen some prices retreat in the last couple of months. The consumer is still coming out. They are, you know, they haven't disappeared completely. Christmas, as you said, was really good for us. We had our record days. All of our key dates were record sales days for us, which was which was great. And not just in terms of sales, with inflation, inflationary pricing um, allowed for, covers were up. So people were coming out in force. And since Christmas, we found that, yes, there is the usual recessionary pattern that we've seen in over years where frequency of visits drop and the mid midweeks become much softer and it's understandable that people are not going out on a tuesday and a monday night and they are being much more careful with the money however friday saturday sunday are at least as strong as ever spend per head is up people are coming out and really treating themselves when they do come out so that they may be going out less often but they are making sure that they have a good time when they come out. And I think that's another place where Paragon is um, potentially being successful. We, we are a premium, premium outlets, as, as I said, and that becomes more important as people go out less often. They actually start to seek out those quality experiences. And that trust element that I mentioned is also critical then. I trust you to give me that one night out this month and I know you're going to deliver, so I'm going to go to your venue. And that, I think, is um, a real string in our bow over the next 12 months. Is there any of these challenges, we touched a lot of them, energy crisis, we didn't talk so much about the labor crisis, but any of those that really is a blocker for you to move forward with your ambitions? No, nothing that will be a blocker, Michael. Um, just something for us to consider, as always. Um, I'm, I'm really bad at making predictions, um, as I've, as most people are, from what I can see. Uh, especially economists, they normally backtrack within months of every, every prediction they make. But what we do, we look ahead and try and anticipate the worst case scenario and make sure we're prepared for that, and then uh, hopefully we'll be on the right side. But um, there, there's nothing that will block us at all, and the. The staff crisis that I know um, the sector has experienced, again, we've been very fortunate to be insulated from that some degree. Brexit, I know, massively affected areas of tourism and big city centres. We didn't particularly have any um, European nationals working for us largely. We are 98% UK nationals working for us. So Brexit wasn't a huge hit. And then following on from that, um, the city centres where they seem to have lost a lot of hospitality workers over COVID to other other industries. We haven't been as badly affected by that either, perhaps because of our locality, you know, out of the um, out of the major cities. So certainly that won't um, won't restrict growth and hasn't reduced our appetite. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our brand partner BizSimply and one of their customers, Goldex Investment Group. They operate Costa Coffee and Caspar's franchises, as well as workspaces. Now, it's over to Bod Hemarshandra, 
their head of operations. The biggest win with Bisimply was freeing up the store manager uh, from the workload they have for the week. Scheduling and payroll plays a, a big part in the business. Obviously, it, it was taking over four hours a week for them before using Excel templates. They have to create the schedule beginning of the week and they'd have to finalize at the end of the week uh, for payroll purposes, which was taking around four hours, like I said. Now, I think with Be Simply, we managed to reduce it down to 30 minutes or less. All they have to do is just finalize the, the payroll at the end of the week by pressing a button. It's that simple. So it saves us around three and a half hours a week per store. And that's the biggest win we've had uh, with Be Simply. That's really interesting. If it was like uh, you could take a magic wand and take one challenge away from the industry, which one would that be and why? For me, uh, there's two things that really bug me about the industry and um, the two things that are controlled by the government. Um, it's business rates, which are so antiquated. Um, we, have, we have sites that are classed as pubs and they are they are classified in one way on business rates. Then we have another site that's a restaurant and the, they both do exactly the same thing. And yet they are massive differences in business rates. And some of the, some of this, it's just a total um, inequality. When you look at um, online retailers that have got huge sheds that are paying proportionally uh, tiny amounts of business rates compared to, um, you know, retail and hospitality, it really is, it's a gross, gross mis, um, miscarriage of justice, I would say, at the minute. So business rates for me, I would like to see them reformed. The other one is VAT on food and the fact that um, supermarkets don't pay VAT on, or don't charge VAT on food. And uh, we have to, which creates a big difference. Um, and I think, you know, I understand the origins of this sort of thing. However, as we've said, things change and the you know the way that supermarkets work now and the and the way that people buy and consume food and the type of food in you know, those meals that you can buy a ready meal that's ready to go you can buy um, a whole platter of food and there's no vat on that from a supermarket and yet we have to charge 20 percent um, so that makes it much more difficult for us to compete on a level playing field those are the two things Oh, and the really interesting one because those are systemic uh, things that might need to change in general. As you say, society's moved on. We've been through a pandemic. We have new challenges uh, as a country and industry, uh, and it should be looked at. It's really, really interesting because it's like, you know, they might in there had their purpose when they were put in place, but now they may be totally out of purpose. You're not the only one that's raised this from, from, from the industry. So that's really interesting. H how do you feel around uh, technology as a business? Because there's been lots of chat, especially through the pandemic, about how technology actually can help us become, you know, better businesses, better hospitality businesses. And there's like two two different views on this, I feel often. Either you're like really pro-technology or then you're really like, that's not really what drives my business. It, it, it helps with optimizing productivity, but it's not really a strategic game changer. We try and be early adopters of most technology. We um, are big believers in data driving decisions, which generally you can only get if you've got the right technology in the right places. Um, we actually 
replaced our EPOS system and reservation system during lockdown. We took the took the opportunity to overhaul our systems with a view to how things might change after COVID. Um, I have to say that ultimately technology, providing it doesn't create any barrier between the um, business providing an incredible service and it can enhance providing an incredible service, I am all for it. Why wouldn't we be? I just, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't be. So for us, the EPOS system handles all the ordering. We have the handheld units that um, servers can use at the table to speed things up, to make sure that we can adapt um, the order right there, right then, as opposed to writing things down. All those sort of small points. The reservation system helps to maximize the restaurants in terms of the bookings and also gives convenience to the customer. So that works really well. Um, but on the on the flip side of that, we use Yumpingo as well, which is a great way of um, getting feedback from customers again, which gives us hard and fast data that we then actually use to adapt menus. So we understand if you're just looking at sales data, you might not know whether or not that dish is well received or not it might just sound really nice so again collecting that sort of consumer data is critical to us um, and we get thousands of reviews a week we also use um, technology for training um, again as part of our expansion we use a, a format called mapal one where our our teams can have an app on the phone there's the inductions are on that particular app they can tick off various compliance certificates and uh, and also we can upload training modules to that as um as a reinforcement for the one-on-one -on -one training that we do in sites as well so yeah technology is important it's not it's not the only thing but it's definitely a, a, a huge supplement to uh, to the business I almost hear what I've heard some some other people have used some very clever words like you almost use it to do the heavy lifting of things and automate things that you know might or would take a lot of manpower to do and wouldn't move as quickly and also like i really love the thing you, because that actually leads me to the next question you said about data because that's really interesting so i come from a background in mcdonald's where you know everything is down to the second you have data down to the second in the restaurants and and you made decisions on that and actually data, 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 if it's your strategy or whatever it is, has to be underpinned by by data. So so you already you already lured to my some of the answers to this question, I think, but how do you then because you have probably like many other CEOs and part of a director group been making a lot of hard decisions over the last couple of years. And how do you make them? Because I think there is sometimes people think hard decisions are something you just quickly do on the whim, on the go. Have you found some kind of like a process for how you do that, especially in your role as the CEO? Yeah, and that probably has changed after COVID actually. And you're right, we generally go through a process of lots of analysis. So depending on what the decision is like, there's no question about it. Some decisions need to be made quickly and potentially instinctively. And after lots of experience, you quite often know which track to go down and i also know which direction the business is going in so the the decisions are in that context i guess so 
that's probably for fairly standard decisions though when you're talking about really hard decisions depending on what that might be um whether it was looking at a new site which would be a massive commitment for instance or um looking at things to do with the teams yeah lots of analysis let's get as much information in in front of me as possible let's get other people's opinions um we like to collaborate as a senior leadership team. So I like to hear other people's opinions. We've got lots of different different personalities within our team. Um, that sort of diversity of outlook is really important. So I like to get uh, other people's opinions and um, then I'll make my own decision based on all that once I've got it all fed into my um, decision-making tool, which is my brain. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting because, like you, as a leader, you take many decisions, and sometimes you you don't even know what you're doing because you, as you said, you you build up these you know almost muscle memory about how you make decision on different areas because it worked you before. But like hard decision, often I really like the thing where you actually I go out and pressure test this decision on other people and hear their angle. And actually get their input as well because they might see the world see the world in a different view, and therefore the people that will be impacted by that decision will might also feel the same. So, so you know, I when I talk with people and they look back from twenty twenty to now, just been an absolutely crazy ride. What has been your um, like most significant, you know, learning in you can call it life and business? But what is like that thing I take with me for, for good or bad? <laughs> um, I think one of the things that we've taken through from it was to um, certainly to work on the business, not in the business. One of the, one of the first things that I did at the start of COVID was actually to take a back, sounds crazy, to take a back seat from running our, I'd set up a COVID task force, which was our senior leadership team or the main parts of it, if you like. And then instead of chairing that meeting to take a back step, get a guy in who was a great, um, plays devil's advocate really well. He chaired those meetings and I sat outside in that meeting so I could input as opposed to running the meetings. And that's something I've carried forward. It works really well. Um, I can look in, I can be objective, I can listen to people's opinions as opposed to maybe using 30, 40% of your energy just to run the meeting and keep everything ticking along and challenging. It works really well. So that was great. The other thing is uh, routine. Um, we have a head office meeting once a week at the same time with the same format every single week. And that's great. Everybody knows where they stand. They know what they bring into the meeting. It gives clarity to the team. So that's something that we've used, utilized going forward as well. Before, the meetings were much more ad hoc, whereas now we have a clear format and we stick to it. I, I love that because actually that's quite hard to achieve. Um, you know, first of all, meetings is a, a big challenge. Either you have too many of them, and the ones you have might be the quality, as you just said, or they they a bit too random. 
and and actually that, that that people know what to expect every time because I have also been in a situation where people come to these senior meetings usually and they're quite nervous about them because they they think it's about being exposed because they really don't know what 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 is on the agenda today. I'm actually ready to talk about this. Do I actually I'm far enough in my in my insights to do that actually and therefore therefore you have all this I call it the game you know <laughs> going on instead of really good meetings where you really get agreed and aligned on things so you can move on and improve that one percent next week 100 percent um i think that's critical and i think it's really helpful as you say that people know what the format will be and what's expected of them and not what's not expected we start on time we finish on time it's it's a discipline is how i would say and it's a great discipline within the business yeah, and, and you, you mentioned you brought somebody in to chair those meetings. Was that an external person or was that somebody from inside the business that normally wouldn't be involved? Yeah, no, he was uh, he's our projects and compliance manager. Um, so he was within head office. But yeah, somebody I identified early on as having um, the necessary skill set to be able to handle the group. He also encourages people to be involved but he will also challenge. Um, and he, he then went on to run our uh, exec committee meetings for the next uh, couple of years after that. So yeah, he's a great guy. Great, great guy. And that's really interesting as well, how you can actually use people that maybe not sits in the senior leadership, but actually to come in and add value in for such a critical role where actually best that you don't have any ownership from a, a leadership point of view. Yeah, it works really well. Good. Um, how do you then yourself as the ceo make sure that you know once it's a team the disciplines around meetings and then there's also you uh, and your fellow directors that has to show up every day but i'm more thinking about you and your ways of making sure you make positive impact when you are in contact with people you know external or internal in the organization because it's a it's a tough job there's a lots of demands and uh, things you need to do and take decisions about it is. It is difficult. Um, and you're right, as, as your team, you know, we've got over 500 employees. Um, your influence on a personal level becomes potentially less and less and, and gets further diluted if you're not careful. In the early days, your personal contact, people know you. Um, they know exactly how you behave. You get to speak to them so they understand what you want and you can have a direct impact on individuals i think the culture that we spoke about before is critical then to uh, our influence pervading all angles if you like personally for me i use yapster so we do um video updates on there so the whole team can see that so that because even when i go and visit a site there might only be a quarter of that team on when i go and visit so i could be there three four hours I only see a quarter of the team anyway if I pull all those together and have a chat to them. So you can't hit everybody, if you like, by just going around to each of the physical venues. So Yaps is a great tool that uh, video um, just keeps everybody up to date with what's going on with the business. So that's really good. Um, quarterly meetings with the senior teams, that's the head office team and the um, management teams within the venues is another great way for me. Um, you know, people have a, a limited uh, attention span, if you like, and, and three months seems to be the the cycle that we've started to adopt where um, at that time, 
potentially you need to make sure you've got alignment again so that alignment comes back in and everybody's on the same page we're happy with the vision they know where they're going for the next three three months and uh, we can all make sure that we're pulling in the same direction yeah and it's very interesting because we we had a little chat before then and i need to ask you this question now because like what book would you give away nine out of ten times and we, we we had a shared book and that's why i'm quite excited about it because i love this book as well it's one of my favorite top 10 books oh, so. okay so you uh michael you've obviously detected that i've stolen some little elements from a book <laughs> called traction um by gina whitman and it's a it's a great management one of the reasons i like that book particularly is that it's um it's quite direct i think it gives it gives practical solutions to people who are keen to develop their business and lots of books don't you might pick out small elements through the book or there might be a little nugget that you can take out of it but i think traction is a really great book um, recommended to me by my accountant some time ago um, who then went on to grow his business very successfully and um, yeah i'm always keen to take advice and, and listen and try things and traction is a yeah, it's, it's got some elements that can make a great format for your business, actually. Yeah, and actually, it's, it's, it, it, all the advice is built on Gino's own experience in running his family business, but also what I think is really is also the, all the businesses he's collated like research work and made it very practical, as you say. And this is how you do meetings because th this format has been used 100,000 times and it works. You just need to put the work in to make the format work. Uh, and, and I always, I, I always, I don't know if you know the book "Good to Great" by Jim Collins. A great book about how you build. It's a great conceptual book, but actually, Traction, in my view, is the practical guide together with another book they call the CEO Tools 2.0, in a way, uh, which also have this practical element of how do we actually go out and make sure a vision gets sticky and and so on and i really this is the steps you need to take these are the five steps if you had not done the five steps the vision will not stick um and it's also built on again businesses and actually medium-sized businesses this is not just the big uh, uh flashy names as mcdonald's or you know uh british airways and so on. this is actually you know medium-sized businesses which most businesses are either small or medium-sized businesses and therefore how you manage and lead in those businesses are very different from a big corporate and the resource you have to do it yeah couldn't agree more um a big fan of jim collins as well I like i like his um i like his take on things so again research-based much of his uh his books are so yeah you feel like um it's based on based on some data again maybe that's my uh the old scientist in me coming out yes yeah, so back to the data again i can see that um what what is uh what will your top advice be to a business leader out there that want to build a business as a, a force for good in these times win yeah force for good um one of our core values is legacy which for for me we've interpreted as um doing great things within the community, leaving something behind after the business, going beyond just employing and serving our, our guests. Um, so for my advice, I guess, to be a force for good would be to find an outlet for that is relevant to your, either your business or you personally 
that's outside of the outside of your usual business work and and how can you help that in some way so for us it's been um, supporting certain charities that had a real uh, personal connection with um, and that can be a lot of not just donations it can be uh, we free up time for members of the staff to go out we've done um, food and things like that that things that we're good at that we've shared with them but uh, yeah I think it's about finding something that's relevant um and and another force for good is i personally feel is how we develop our teams and how we develop those individuals within our teams Um, because i think that's great and to see people literally transform over years um it's one of the brilliant things about hospitality where you can get a youngster at 16 who's absolutely timid and shy and has no experience and within two years they are a confident outgoing um practical person with a with a great skill set um it's amazing and there's not many businesses that you you know you get to do that if you're sat behind a desk or you're in a call center you don't get that and it's a great social outlet as well it's an amazing sector to be involved in it's so funny that's like that's my story i was 15 when i ended at mcdonald's quite timid and you know worked in my mom's hospitality business and then that journey into mcdonald's just elevated so i'm so grateful mcdonald's did that because that made me be able to go and do things literally because that's the most important skill to have doesn't matter which degree you take if you don't do anything with it it doesn't really matter if you don't push the boundaries um so yeah it's really really interesting you said that really really you know i can only you know shout out on that one as well what is the one question richard you wished i've asked you and uh what would that question be and what would you have answered um that is a good question um i suppose the the only thing that yeah i guess you haven't asked what's maybe most proud about being part of Paragon um, because I have got a lot of pride. Um, I don't know if that's come across or not from our conversations, but yeah, the pride within the business um, and the thing that's made me most proud, if you like, is that achieving that best companies two star, which was a reflection of how we've, t- how we've engaged with the teams and how important ultimately um, any business, but especially hospitality, you are only as good as your people. And that bit makes me the most proud is um, our teams and I'm working with them. I love it. That's a really, really good uh, question. And you should be proud because it's, it's tough to get those those stars or actually even get on the list in a way. So I think, I think, I think also because that often also comes from years of putting in without expecting anything back. I think that's it's it's not like I do these marketing initiative and then the sales come. It's really investing in culture and and your own development because you of course you're a reflection of uh, of the culture. So yeah, I, I think that was a really good one. Where where can people um, find out more about you or maybe connect with you and think I really want to ask Richard this or maybe I want to know more about the Paragon Group. How, how do we get in in contact with you guys? You can get in touch with me through LinkedIn which is a great platform. Um, so I'm, I'm on there, Rich Colclough on there, uh, Paragon Group, we have our own website, also got my contact details on there. Um, there's lots of background information on the, on the business, on my fellow directors, uh, and there's, yeah, direct contact on there. 
great. Thank you so much, Richard, for for taking the time out to come and share the the story of uh, your amazing business and what you learned and what you're doing to build a great business. I sent all the the power and energy that you and the team needs to for the times ahead. And thank you again. Thanks, Michael. That was great. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate, or give a review, or subscribe to one of our channels. Which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is the key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others, and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their socials at bitsimply or bitsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bitsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.